Well, good morning. Um, yes, so week two of Advent. Come on, Avery. Let's go. Run, run, run. <laughs> um, my, my son's in first grade, so he just started uh, coming in here for worship on Sundays. Um, and when he heard Advent, he was like, <gasps> because Advent for him means chocolate calendars from Trader Joe's, right? Yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, but it's also a little confusing. Like he just, he had a Lego Star Wars Advent calendar that he just did in November, okay? Uh, and then he, a couple of years ago, my wife got a, I, I don't know where she got it. It was a calendar and each day had a, a pair of socks. And my kids started calling it sock vent, you know, ridiculous socks. And then there was, they couldn't, Remember if it was Advent or Sockvent, like which was the real one, you know? So uh, <laughs> consumerism, right? Okay. Uh, so if you're newer to the church or the church calendar and like, what does Advent mean again? Um, you're not alone. Pastor kids forget too, <laughs> okay? Uh, so Advent simply refers to the arrival, the birth of King Jesus, uh, the first Advent of Jesus, the first coming. And so uh, I love what Pastor Joe calls it, uh, the, the missionary encounter, God's missionary encounter with the world that he created when he showed up to rescue his people. Um, so Advent is a time where we reflect upon this gift of Jesus, this new thing that God has done in being born to a poor virgin in Bethlehem, where the creator God, think about this, the creator God embraced creaturely frailty. The creator God embraced limitations. The creator God experienced vulnerability so we could have intimacy with him. The creator God became weak and poor, and the world has never been the same since. It flipped the world upside down. So God has done a genuinely new thing in Jesus, and it affected everything. But of course, when a new thing comes, old things must go. As Jesus himself said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. You know, in our small house, my wife and I are right now getting rid of toys because we know new ones are, are coming. Um, so Advent is a time not only where we reflect upon this gift of Jesus, but it's a time where we reflect on loss as well. Uh, as we saw last week with Jesus' lineage, Jesus comes from a long line of loss, a long line of people well acquainted with grief and great loss. We had Abraham who lost his homeland, David who lost his son, Rahab who lost her city, Ruth and Bathsheba who lost their husbands and more. And next week, Joe's going to talk about the loss of ex expectations that Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, must have experienced as they made way for this new life. But in all of these instances, as Heath put it last week, out of loss, God brings new life. Out of loss, God brings new life. And that's the banner quote, you know, the big idea for this series. So I want to add my hearty amen, uh, but also add something. Out of loss, God brings new life, maybe. <laughs> Not necessarily. 
Um, I know that's a bit of a bummer, uh, but hopefully it's an honest bummer uh, because sometimes it depends on how we respond to the loss, right? Do we respond like Joseph and Mary and say, let it be unto me according to your word, I am your servant? Do we react as we will see like the wise men, the magi who lose their religion and go on a journey to behold Jesus? Or Will our response be more like King Herod and his chief priests and scribes? Is it possible to miss out on the new life that God brings through loss if we insist on clutching to our old life, to the way things were, to the old and refusing to, way, to make way for the new? We can miss out on the new for fear of losing the old. So let's dig into our text today. Uh, This is Matthew 12, or sorry, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 2. And so, as we just read, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. We'll hear that story next week. And this apparently was an event of cosmic significance. A star literally rose in the sky over Israel. And this caught the attention of some wise men, or the Greek word, magi, uh, from the east, and sets them on a long and arduous journey to behold the divinely appointed king of kings. So a star rises and the wise go on a journey. So the obvious questions, like who are these guys? These wise guys. (laughs) Who are the wise men? And how do they know that the star signified the birth of the Jewish Messiah? How did they know that? Um, Quick aside, the, the main theme of the Gospel of Matthew is fulfillment. Okay, the fulfillment of Israel's hopes for a Messiah, for a king, and the restoration of the glorious kingdom of Israel fulfillment. Um, I taught middle school New Testament last year, and I called this the big F word of Matthew, and they'll never forget that now, okay? And neither, neither will you, okay? Big F word, fulfillment. That's the big theme, and if we were doing a series on Matthew, I'd spend more time unpacking all of these uh, stories and these prophecies that Matthew is claiming that this visit from the wise men fulfills, but I just want to give you a snapshot because it's stunning, All of this, all of this at least, is background to these few verses, okay, that we've seen today. All of this is, Matthew is claiming, is being fulfilled in this visit from the wise men. It's stunning. But the basic storyline is this. Um, The Queen of Sheba, you remember this this story? The, The Queen of Sheba comes from the east to marvel at the son of David, David's son Solomon, to marvel at his wisdom, to marvel at his wealth. And if you'll remember, she brings royal gifts of gold and spices. Generations later, so David's son, 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 King Hezekiah has a bit of a foolish moment, okay? And he brings this envoy from the mighty empire of Babylon into his 
temple. And he's like, guys, look at this. This is pretty cool. Look at all this gold. Look at all this wealth that we have. And they're like, interesting, noted, you know. Uh, So just after his lifetime, the empire of Babylon comes and they raise Jerusalem to the ground and they destroy the temple and they cart off all of the gold and the spices and the wealth, and, and, and it shows up. You know, they're drinking out of Israel's cups in the book of Daniel at their feasts. Um, and so, and they also wipe out, it seems to be, the line of David's sons. So it's a tragic moment in the story. So the prophesied hope in places like Isaiah 60 and Micah 5 is that one day the kings of the east will come back to Israel and they will bring their treasures when God humbles them by restoring the kingdom and putting a son of David back on the throne of heaven and earth and restoring the temple. And this is what Matthew is claiming is being fulfilled in Jesus, the royal son of David and the living, breathing, moving temple of the living God. And it's being fulfilled in a way that no one, not even the wisest of the earth, could ever have predicted or controlled. And so they come to worship. Okay, but who are the wise men? Who are the wise men? And how how do they know that this star signifies the birth of this hope for Messiah? Um, Wherever they are from in the east, uh, probably Persia, most scholars think, uh, the most obvious allusion in the Bible itself are the so-called wise men of Babylon in the book of Daniel, who are literally called magi in the Greek Old Testament. Um, do you remember those guys? Were they good guys or bad guys? Very, yeah, yeah, very bad guys. They're like the quintessential bad guys, okay, in, in the Old Testament. Um, they're, they're depicted as like incompetent and ruthless. They're jealous of Daniel's superior wisdom and righteousness, and they're always plotting and scheming against the Lord's anointed, and they're jockeying for power in the empire. And so note, note the extreme irony in Matthew's story here. The bad guys from Babylon— They read the signs, and they go on a journey. They've been reading their Bibles, right? And they go to worship the true king of Israel. And what's the king of Israel doing? What are the wise in Israel doing? They're completely ignorant, right? They're supposed to be wise. They're chief priests and scribes, and yet they're now the ones lying and scheming and plotting to kill Jesus, the Lord's anointed. It's a total flip, and so don't imagine like three, three guys coming, okay, as we often see in our nativity scenes. The only reason we have three is because of the three gifts mentioned. Uh, there, there would have been a royal caravan, okay, like a parade rolling into town. This was a big, big show and a big deal. And so this massive caravan of royal ambassadors bearing treasures travels hundreds of miles west to the capital, Jerusalem, probably expecting something of like a big celebration, Right? But instead, what do they find? Politics as usual, right? In Herod and his cronies, who are unwilling to journey even a few miles south to see for themselves. And so how do these guys know about the star, though? So to answer that, we need to go back even further. Now, all the way back to the book of Numbers, and recall a strange pagan sorcerer 
who was called from the east by a king, just like Herod, who pressured him, paid him actually, to destroy the true people of God. But instead, this pagan sorcerer refused and ended up blessing them. Anyone remember his name? Balaam, thank you. Balaam, the the talking donkey guy, okay? Um, So, Balaam was actually called a magi, interestingly, by Philo of Alexandria, uh, who's a contemporary of Jesus and Matthew as a historian. And Balaam, in his final speech, his final oracle, he falls down, just like the wise men. He says this in Numbers 24, 17. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not yet. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So the Magi from the east, familiar with Israel's scriptures and Balaam's prophecy, they see the star that rises out of Israel, out of Jacob, and they recognize what is happening. And they go on a journey. And the wise are the first to worship Jesus. Herod, on the other hand, he becomes, quote, troubled. And a better translation for this word might be terrified. So he stays put. Now, what I want to do is I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine this journey and these events from the wise men's perspective, okay? You are the cream of the crop of your people. You are educated in the most elite institutions in your homeland. You are, you hold great political power and influence, and you're held in high esteem by everyone back home in the East, But then you and your colleagues, you see this unmistakable sign in the heavens that some powerful divinity is moving the stars and doing something special in a faraway despised little land. And so you embark on this journey, this journey of seeking by faith. And after a long journey, you get guidance from the king and then you depart And as night falls in Israel, you discover that this objective light in the sky that you have been following, this star is suddenly moving and it is leading you personally. You imagine that? Right? What is in your mind the most fixed thing in the universe? Stars move all together, suddenly breaking rank and moving just for you, guiding you, leading you. One commentator says it's difficult to find um, a, a translation or an expression in English sufficiently extravagant enough to capture verse 10, where it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You might say they freaked out, (laughs) okay? They lost their minds. Um, These distinguished dignitaries, they are leaping and shouting and squealing and giggling and singing like little kids on Christmas. We're being led by the stars. I want to pause here for a moment and just tell you, did you know there's no greater earthly joy than the discovery that you are being led by heaven. There's no greater earthly joy than the discovery that you are being led by heaven, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He's leading me. I shall not want. I don't need anything. The Lord is leading me. 
Even just in earthly terms, did you know the highest correlative with happiness in life is having work that gives you a sense of purpose? This is like that times a million, right? When you go on a journey, when you take a leap of faith, and you go into the dark and into the difficult and into the uncertain, and you reach that point like, what is going on? Why did I leave? And then God whispers or shouts in some way, I'm here with you. I'm guiding you. I'm out ahead of you. There is nothing like that. It's worth everything that we leave behind. Um, And I just wonder if that's any of you today where the Lord has been inviting you to start that ministry, to leave that toxic relationship, you know, to confront that boss, to forgive that sibling, to make amends, to confess that sin, to go on that journey into the uncertainty. It's worth it if the invitation is from the Lord. It's worth everything we leave behind. So imagine now, again, back to our story, when the star came to rest over that simple house in Bethlehem. What a strange thing, right? Imagine the anticipation they would have felt. Imagine the scene in the little town of Bethlehem as like this royal caravan from Persia or whatever rolls in. I mean, people be looking out their shutters, you know, coming in the street like, what's going on? You know, it's like when the cops show up at your neighbor's house and it's like, what? You know, it's like it would have been a scene. It would have gone viral today. Um, And remember that Jesus would have been almost two by this time. So verse 11, they go into the house And they see the child with his mother and they fall down and worship a toddler. I mean, I have toddlers. (laughs) There's nothing to worship there, right? It's, It's amazing. They fall down and they worship a toddler and they lay their treasures at the feet of this peasant woman and her baby. I wonder if Jesus is like playing with the gold and stuff, you know? Putting it in his mouth. Uh... And Jesus will say in just a few chapters, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For they shall see God. Seek and you will find, Jesus says. Knock and the house will be opened to you. The house was open to these men. These wise men are blessed. They have seen God in the flesh, in the form of an utterly dependent toddler. It's incredible. And so they worship, and apparently they, they sleep there because they have a dream, and in their dreams they're warned about Herod's murderous intentions. And so Matthew says they returned to their own country by another way. They returned to their country by another way. And I don't want to read too much into this, but I think there's something here, something poetic intended here. These men have seen God. And so they return differently than they left. I mean, can you imagine what this encounter has done to their pride? What this encounter has done with their paradigms? With their so-called wise understandings of power and religion? You know, religion is just the way that we relate to God and to everything. In that sense, we're all religious. It's the the unifying way we make sense of everything. Um, Now, these wise men have to deal with the fact 
with the revelation that there is a God whose son has been born to a poor virgin in Bethlehem. That will mess with your categories. (laughs) And then keep reading, he dies on a cross and rises from the dead, and now we just have to scrap everything. we got to scrap all our wisdom and rebuild everything with this foolishness right here in front of us. See, in times of change and great loss, the wise go on a journey and return differently than they left. In times of change and loss, the wise go on a journey and return differently than they left. Since March of 2020, all of us have been asked to change. Amen? (laughs) All of us have been asked to change multiple times and in various ways. One of my favorite quotes that has stuck with me since seminary is from a, a Harvard professor, leadership expert, Ronald Heifetz, and he says, what people resist is not change, per se, not change in itself, but loss. What people resist is not just change, but the, the loss that that change represents. It's an important thing to understand as a leader that that is what folks resist and what we resist. And for Herod who was supposed to be a leader, the chief priest and the scribes, the birth of the wise son of David, the king, and the great high priest, what does it represent for them? Loss, right? Loss of position, loss of privilege, loss of power, loss of prestige. And so they resist the journey into this greater intimacy with God. They resist it. They miss out on the new for fear of losing the old. And if there's one thing I think, you know, we've learned from the pandemic and all that has come with it uh, is the humbling reality that we are not as in control as we thought, as we may have thought. That's a good reminder. It's a hard reminder, but it's a good reminder. We cannot control, you know, what happens in other countries. We, We cannot control the attitudes of our neighbors and our family members sometimes as much as we'd like to. Uh, Some of us have had a frightening, terrifying realization we're less in control even of ourselves than we thought. So like Herod, we are troubled and even terrified. And we have attempted to control whatever we can in our little kingdom. This is scary. Scary to make way for whatever God is up to in all of this and humbling his, his people. Um, I like to say that whenever we're wondering, like, what is God doing? What in the world? The only thing we can say completely for certain is that he is offering a fresh opportunity for us to humble ourselves. He is leading us like the wise men along some winding journey to a fresh encounter with Jesus. He is leading always, but are we following what, what journeys have you embarked on since last March? Some of us, some of us have been on relational journeys with our family. Uh, when we had to stay home, if that was you, some of you r- realized that your marriage needed a lot of work. Some of you realized you had been completely disconnected from your kids. And there was this, I gotta make a change. Something's radical. Needs to change. So how's that going? Have you made those changes or is it back to normal? Are you coming back, returning differently than you left? 
Some of us have gone on more intellectual journeys. You've been reading, you've been podcasting, right, with the shootings and the protests. Some of you went on journeys, having your eyes open to new realities, and you were having conversations about systemic injustice and political enmeshment. And uh, for you, some of you I've talked to, like, church is different now. It's not the simple, comfortable place that it was before the pandemic. You've been through this big change and you're trying to make sense of that. That's been a lot of us in different ways, politically, intellectual, during this time. The question I want to ask is, is this journey leading you into deeper intimacy with Jesus? Deeper into fellowship with Jesus? Is it filling you more with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Or is it not? Is he fading in importance compared to the issues, to the causes, to the policies, to the platforms, right? Is he fading in importance for you? Some of us have gone on personal, emotional journeys. Uh, We realized, you know, we were addicted to busyness. (laughs) And we were terrified of the darkness and the loneliness and the emptiness that we saw in ourselves when everything stopped. Anyone like, what if the internet goes out? I'll just die immediately, you know? Um, How's it going? Are you secretly a little relieved to be back at a breathless pace? Um, Some of you have gone on all three of these and more, okay? Ones I haven't listed. Some of you literally have gone on a journey. You've moved and you live here now or you've moved and you haven't found a church yet so you're watching online. Hello? (laughs) Lots of journeys have been taken as we saw on Thanksgiving Eve. So we heard testimonies from our brothers and sisters. Many of us have, the change has been literally losing a loved one. Literally losing a loved one. And, and, and all that, those other journeys seem silly. And we are in this place of wondering how we can finish our journey without that beloved person. And all of these, I want to say, whether it's relational, intellectual, personal, emotional, they're all spiritual journeys is they all involve reckoning with loss and learning to embrace a cross. So in reality, we're we're all somewhere in the middle. None of our journeys are over if we're in this room, living and breathing. There will be an end to the pandemic, hopefully, someday, there will. But things won't ever be the same. They won't ever be what they were. And if we're honest, we have nothing more than educated guesses as to where things are going to go from here. And I don't know where this lands for you today. This may sound crazy, but if wherever you are on your journey this Advent, I want to invite you to be wise. Be wise. Leave corrupt Jerusalem. Head to the little town of Bethlehem and seek a humbling encounter with Jesus. Don't stay where you are like Herod. Leave corrupt Jerusalem and head to Bethlehem and seek a humbling encounter with Jesus. Where are you this winter? Are you abiding with the peace and joy of Jesus and his promises? Or are you abiding in annoyance and resentment? Have his mother's words been on your lips recently? Let it be unto me according to your word. Or the words of her son, your will be done Where are you? Are you intimate with Jesus this winter? Are you in his word? Are you in prayer? 
Are you being brought afresh to humility and repentance before his glorious lowliness and goodness, if not every day, then every, at least every week, every month? Any journey undertaken without Jesus is a dead end of pride, judgment, emptiness, despair, There's a gross amount of that in the church today, in the American church today, because our minds are set on earthly things, not heavenly things. Our minds are fixed (laughs) on our news feeds, and we haven't noticed the stars. I was taking out the trash the other day, and I was like, whoa, there's stars. (laughs) Like, there's a world outside of this. So please, if you haven't this Advent, you know, maybe it's the time to recommit to blocking out 20 minutes, 30 minutes each day. Read through the Gospel of John. And just read through the Gospel of John this Advent and, and pray. Jesus, humble me. Spirit, humble me. Father, humble me. If you struggle with that consistency in prayer, get outside like the wise men. Go on a prayer walk. Pray. Humble me. Leave the corruption. Leave it all for at least a little while each day and seek that humbling encounter with Jesus. Those who seek will find. He will find you.